I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hello, it's Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019. This is the fourth episode of the year, of the calendar year. And I don't know about y'all, but you know the thing that's like senioritis when... Because I'm a second semester high school senior, and when all your college applications are done, and you've already applied, and really the only thing you have to do is just not get rescinded from wherever you get in if you do get into places. There's this like whole senioritis thing that's like you kind of just stop caring about school, about really anything, <laughs> because none of it really matters. But I don't know for whatever reason that has yet to hit me because. I got other stuff to happen, I guess. Other extracurriculars for, for, I don't know, whatever reason. I guess it just hasn't hit me yet. My friend says it hit him, like, around May 1st, which, you know, I'm totally fine with because that's when all my major projects are done. And it's literally just the AP tests, which have basically zero stakes, um, unless you're using it to get college credit. So, I don't know. That's just opening shower thoughts. Uh, to kick off the day. Let me know when it hit you guys, because uh, uh, I, I, I kind of want to see what it feels like. But anyway, uh, let's let's get on to the show. So the first topic for today is Championship Sunday, obviously, in the NFL. The NFC and AFC Championships took place this weekend. The NFC Championship between the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints and the AFC Championship game between the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. So we're going to start with the Rams and the Saints. And could we actually, before I get into that, could we really have asked for a better championship Sunday? Uh, I actually didn't get to watch most of it, uh, unfortunately. But we had exciting games between really good teams. Uh, it wasn't just offensive shootouts. If you like defense, this game had some stuff for you too. Uh, so it's just a great weekend uh, if you if you like the sport of football. Uh, so let's get into it. So the Rams and the Saints this game went to overtime, and uh, the Rams won twenty six to twenty three. The first thing that comes out of this game is what everyone's been talking about over the last couple of days, and that's the pass interference non call that took the game away from the Saints when after. If if they had called that, it would have been a sure victory for New Orleans. And there's many things to look at here. But first of all, I mean, this really is disappointing for the Saints because it's not often that you can legitimately say that a call costs a team a game. Like, usually it's an exaggeration because, like, uh, after that, things happened that ended up happening. This legitimately cost them the game because it was with, like, what, a minute and a half left? And if they had made the call, if they had made the call, then the Saints would have won the game. But since they didn't make the call, it was with with the way the Saints offense plays, it was basically 50-50. Um, so it, the Saints must feel really bad about this, and they do, but... That was, I mean, that call was horrible because it, you, you see P.I. calls that are like, okay, I guess it could have gone either way. I'm just really disappointed because it is my team. But, I mean, this was really, like, blatant 
there was no debating this, and there were three or four places where that that could have been called for a foul. So, I I don't know what the refs saw there, but just you can't make that call at this stage of the game. I mean, you're hired in the postseason for a reason, because you need to be making the right calls. Um, and I think the refs have to be held accountable for this to some extent. I mean, you're probably not going to fire them based on one call, but at least give them a suspension without pay or limit their limit what they can do this season or next season. Uh, I don't know. That's just my opinion because it, it was such a bad call at such a crucial time. And as far as opening up re- replay review to other uh, segments of the game or, or making more plays reviewable, obviously you have a Pandora's box there because you cannot make... If you make every single play reviewable, I mean, pass interference, can you imagine the scrutiny that's going to happen there? Because these calls are so close that it's you can't just... It, we're going to open up a whole new definition of what is P.I. Because you know the whole like catch controversy that we've had over the last couple of years because of the catch rule? If you made P.I. reviewable, you would have exactly the same thing. You'd have what is P.I., what is not P.I., and you'd be opening up to all that. But I, despite all that, I think I am in favor of making more plays reviewable as long as you keep the number of challenges allowed, or at least the number of unsuccessful challenges allowed, the same. Because that way, you avoid the whole issue of clogging up the game, right? Because that's also one of the primary issues as far as expanding replays, clogging up the game. Um, but and, and there might be some specification for the last two minutes, because that's just a whole other animal. Uh, but I think you have to keep the number of challenges the same, and you can start to enroll this type of thing in. Now, another story from this game that I think shouldn't be overlooked is Greg Zerline. Now, in a in a in a season of in a season of kickers missing big kicks and all of this kicker hate shining through, not only do we have a phenomenal effort from Greg Zerline, but we have a phenomenal effort from kickers overall this week. And Greg Zerline hit a big kick to send it into overtime from 48 yards that looked like it was curving in and out and in and out and went in. And then a 57-yard kick to win. I had a, I was kicking a football around the other day. Try it yourself. Like, go to a field and see what a 57-yard field goal looks like. It's ridiculous. And to kick it right down the middle, I mean, that kick was good from 70. Um, so... Rams, you got to hold on to that kicker because it's not often that you get people that are that reliable uh, and that consistent in such big moments. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to mention this, but bringing Greg Zerline in to kick a 57-yard field goal for the win, that was a really gutsy call uh, by Sean McVay, and and it, it emphasizes the trust they have in Zerline because if he misses that field goal, the Saints get the ball at the at their own 47-yard line. They have really, really good field position. Um, so that's kind of an, uh, an overlooked aspect to this, is they have a ton of trust in what Zerline can do, and they knew that he was going to make, or that to the extent that they could, they knew that he was going to make that field goal. 
Now, the Saints in this game had a chance early, and I one of the things about the call costume of the game is that the Saints had a chance early in this game to put it away, and they missed it. They scored the first three... They had the first three scores of the game, but two stops were in the red zone, including off the turnover. I mean, they had all the momentum. They could have gone up 21 nothing easy, but... Instead, they only went up 13, and that meant they gave themselves a lot less room for error because they only went into the half up three. And if they had gone into the half, say, instead of 13-10, it was 21-10, to I mean, that gives them so much more wriggle room, and it's not like the Rams' offense suddenly went berserk. Um, so that's one thing that they're going to look at over the offseason as a real missed opportunity. And looking long-term for New Orleans, I mean, this is another heartbreaking playoff loss coming off the Minneapolis miracle last year. Uh, and now this, you start to wonder, like, Drew Brees is not going to play forever. I mean, Tom Brady's been playing till he's, what, 42 or 43 now, but he's like a once-in-a-generation type player, and you don't get that kind of, you get that kind of talent come along, but that kind of longevity, I don't know if Drew Brees is going to have that. So the window for this offense really might only be another few years with Brees, with the, the talent you've got right now with Brees and Ingham and Kamara and Thomas. But I think if the Saints really want to step up their game and get another, uh, win another Super Bowl under Drew Brees before he takes off, I think they're going to need another wide receiver. Because right now, Michael Thomas is the primary threat in that offense. I mean, Ted Ginn for his entire career has been kind of a deep threat player, but not consistent. Um, and they really don't have any other big names other than Thomas. So... Uh, gaining another wide receiver would really look good for the Saints going forward. And the Rams, interestingly enough, won this game with basically no run game. Because they didn't, they barely used Todd Gurley. I think he had four carries uh, for 10 yards. And C.J. Anderson only had about 44 yards, uh, I think, on the ground. And I wonder how much that's going to carry into the Super Bowl. Because Todd Gurley's been selfless. I mean, he said that, he was healthy, but he wasn't in just because he flat out wasn't playing well. And C.J. Anderson deserved to get the carries that he did. And that attitude is great from a team-building standpoint. But to some extent, during the playoffs... Um, now, now Gurley couldn't have put it any better during the interview. But in his mind and in his outlook, I think he has to take control and and really work to demonstrate that he needs carries in the Super Bowl and he needs to be the lead back in the Super Bowl because he's who got you there. And in the Super Bowl, um, that's key to do. Looking in the big picture for the Rams, I mean, they're really uh, ahead of, of schedule because Jared Goff is only in his third year. Todd Gurley is only in his fourth year. Sean McVay is only 32 years old, much younger than a lot of the players. And this trio... Uh, and they have the right mindset to be a good tandem for years to come because it's not like Gurley is the diva like Antonio Brown is. Um, and Sean McVay seems to be able to connect with uh, his players, and Jared Goff has not been controversial at all in his three years in the league, two-plus two years in the league. So uh, obviously it's you, you can't really make predictions and be right 100% of the time, but I think out of all the groupings in the league, this has the potential to really emerge as a dynasty, um, especially if they can get get started by winning the Super Bowl against New England, but they'll definitely be back. I have no doubt about that. All right, the other game, the late game, the AFC Championship between New England and Kansas City. What a game this turned out to be. 
Uh, it was New England's game for the first three quarters. They're up 17-7 to after three. Uh, but then the fourth quarter, both offenses just went off in the type of game that we kind of expected to see from the start. 38 points scored in the fourth quarter, 24 by the Chiefs and 14 by the Patriots. Not only that, but you had four lead changes and you had a tie at the end that sent it into overtime. Uh, just in the fourth quarter alone, not to mention there were at least, from my count, like five replay reviews. Uh, so the drama was there in spades. Uh, and it's it's all you really want as a viewer. And we had clutch play from both quarterbacks in this game. The, the quarterback matchup coming in, the young guy versus the old bet, Mahomes versus Brady, the run game, explosive Mahomes, and this calm, steady, collected Brady. And once the momentum swing started, they just kept coming. I mean, it started out with Chiefs scoring two touchdowns in a row to kick off the quarter and take the lead, and the Patriots come back. And then Mahomes with a five-play, 68-yard drive with a few minutes left. It looked like it might be it, but then, uh-oh, here comes Tom Brady, six-play, 65 yards for the touchdown. Is that it? But then Mahomes with less than a minute to go comes up with a four-play, 48-yard drive that ends in a Harrison-Butker field goal to tie it up, complete with his trademark scrambling and crazy throws and diving catches uh, from his receivers. I mean, this had it all as far as drama goes. In the fourth quarter, more than made up for the play before it. But the Patriots were able to end it in OTN. And we started to see what what what, what veteranship is able to do for you. I mean, three third and long conversions uh, to be able to execute your scheme and not, not flinch in the face of danger. That's what Tom Brady is able to do really well, and that's what he did in this game. And it really looked like he, he brought the clock back to the beginning of the game. Uh, in overtime, we're just methodically moving the ball down the field. You don't panic when you get to third down. You don't need to go for the humongous play. Just little by little, chip away at that really tired defense um, and go win the game for you. Um, because the third down conversions, I've said it before, I'll say it again, they're so deflating for a defense to know that you're one play from getting off the field, and then bam, now you've got to be on for three more plays at least. Um, there's a valiant effort from the Chiefs defense trying to trying to hold up against the Patriots onslaught that really could have put the game away early on. Um, but they were just too tired at the end to hold, to, to uh, prevent a score. Chiefs offense actually did a good, did a really good job late, but uh, they woke up just a little too late. They weren't able to get any extended drives early at all. I mean, the longest drive was like seven plays. Um, Damian Williams did a great job in this game. He scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone. But early on, when your offense and Mahomes is struggling, that's where you really miss Kareem Hunt. Um, because to be able to have a consistent run game to not put you behind the chains um, is where you really start to succeed uh, consistently as a team. And Tom Brady, meanwhile, I can't just shake how good he is. Every, it's, every For like the last few years, it seems like, they just get off to a mediocre start Everyone goes, is the dynasty over? I mean, people are starting to do that less now because Brady's done it multiple times, but is the dynasty over? Is Brady over the hill? Yada, yada, yada. But now Brady, Tom Brady has reached his third straight Super Bowl. He's won his third straight AFC title. And I believe that's now nine Super Bowl appearances, maybe ten. I think nine Super Bowl appearances for Brady, uh, which is just ridiculous if you think about it. To be at the top of your sport uh, for that long is ridiculous and we're probably never going to see a stretch like this again with Belichick and Brady. Uh, the Chiefs, they're going to be back 
this is a young core with Mahomes and Tyreek Hill um, and Damian Williams. I think given a year to prep, being in the starting role can emerge as kind of a uh, like a C.J. Anderson with a little more speed, like a tough back, um, but still has like a Mark Ingram type uh, running back. And I think that's the formula for success for them. The defense, meanwhile, uh, unfortunate that they weren't able to close out the game. I mean, there were some costly penalties in there, including one that has been talked about quite a bit, but no need to name drop. Um, but that getting pressure on the quarterback is, is going to be continuing to get pressure on the quarterback, which they weren't really able to do in this last game, um, is going to be the key to success for them. Uh, side note, by the way, I haven't talked about this yet, but please change the overtime rules. Uh, just like Super Bowl 51 in this game, the Patriots won the coin toss and they went ahead and won the game in overtime. There are arguments for and against uh, the current overtime rules, but I think the inconsistency just doesn't sit well with me. I mean, if they score a touchdown, it's over, but if they kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance. I think you should give both teams a chance to possess the ball because... I mean, it's not like a regular game, because in a regular game, it's long enough that both teams are going to possess the ball multiple times, and one team starting out with possession isn't really going to make a huge difference. Um, but And plus, even after halftime, I mean, the other team starts with the ball anyway, so it evens out in the end. But with overtime, I think you've got to make it like the college style, where you can play it, sure, you can play it like a regular game, but at least in the playoff, maybe you keep these rules for the regular season, but in the playoffs, uh, I think you should... Both teams should be allowed to possess the ball at least once. I think you, you you almost run it like college, but you don't have teams start at their own 25-yard line. You can run it like a regular NFL game. To, that kind of kind of a best-of-both-worlds approach to please the purists and the non-purists. So that way, it's like a regular game, but both teams get to hold the ball and try to, try to win. But overall, I mean, outside of that little overtime thing that I like to complain about quite a bit. It was a great weekend for the NFL, uh, and they their viewership must have been great. I mean, I don't know if the numbers have come out yet. but And we're going to have a Super Bowl preview coming next week between the Rams and the Patriots, which really should be an exciting matchup. Um, and that's in two weeks. February, I believe February 3rd is the date of Super Bowl 53. And that will put uh, that will be on CBS. Oh, by the way, shout out to Tony Romo who had a great game. Uh, his predictions were all over the uh, media world, and I went back and watched it. Yeah, he was pretty spot on. Uh, it was pretty crazy what, what he was able to do in the booth uh, last Sunday. Topic number two, a little, little briefer than usual. Uh, Jalen Hurts decide, announced that he will be transferring to Oklahoma. Uh, that's it's an interesting move, but first of all, Hertz deserves whatever he gets. I mean, sitting behind a quarterback losing your job because you had a, a tough game and a tough half is rough. Um, it ended up probably being the right move for Alabama long term. I mean, we saw what happened in this year, except for the national championship game, of course. But Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback, and he was a team player, never made a fuss. Um, and uh, no- nothing but nothing but good feels for him. I'll probably root for him more now that he's at Oklahoma instead of uh, Alabama. Now this becomes the third transfer quarterback in a row for Oklahoma. Now we know what happened with the first two: uh, Baker Mayfield, Heisman; Kyler Murray, Heisman; 
Let's see if the. I don't think the trend's going to continue with Jalen Hurts. He doesn't put up the eye popping numbers that those other two do. But, I mean, Oklahoma is a college football playoff candidate yet again because Hurts can run that. that He can play in that run and gun offense. Uh, he's not afraid to throw the ball deep. I mean, he lost his job to Tua because he's a little more. Uh, Tua's a little more dynamic and he can. He's a little more explosive on the outside, but if Hertz doesn't need to necessarily be that. I mean, Kyler Murray was, but Baker Mayfield wasn't as much, and as long as Oklahoma still has that talent out on the outside that can, you know, create separation and give Hertz room to throw. Um, and that's not to say Hertz can't run. Hertz can run by himself. Um, he's not. No one is going to be the same as Kyler Murray, who won the Heisman for a reason, but. Jalen Hurts will have the opportunity to thrive at Oklahoma. And I wouldn't be surprised because he wanted to go to a team that can beat Alabama. And with the knowledge that he's gained from the years sitting, uh, being in the Alabama program, he's going to know how to contend against them. Um, and possibly Clemson as well. Um, because he spent, uh, he spent however long preparing for them three times. Uh, two, three, what was it? the 2016 National Championship, and then the 2017 semifinal, and then the 2018 National Championship. So he's been spending a lot of time on both sides of this, of this, or he spent a lot of time on both Clemson and Alabama um, with different, uh, from different perspectives, of course, but he knows both of those teams inside and out. So that's, that's the type of move that, that really establishes Oklahoma as a college football playoff candidate. Third topic of the day, also a little short, James Harden has been going on a ridiculous run. He's scored 30 points or more in 20 consecutive games. He scored over 200 points in the last four games. And he, he's had zero assists in those four games. Or he's not had zero assists. He's zero points in that stretch have been off of an assist. So... Every point he's scored in that time has been because of iso ball, um, which that's really hard to wrap your head around. I mean, not one point James Harden has scored out of the 200-plus in the last four games has been after someone passed it to him. Now, part of that is a byproduct of Chris Paul being out for so long and James Harden having to generate a lot of the offense. But nonetheless, I mean, that really says something about the Houston system and and a lot of that is it sustainable because Harden can score in these large bunches and Houston actually got blown out last night by Philadelphia but especially if Chris Paul is to go down later in the season i mean can that offense run at all if James Harden isn't shooting you know making 50 scoring 50 points a game like he has this last week and it kind of reaches in a stark contrast with me to kind of the Golden State Warriors cuz with the Rockets, you pretty much need one... If one player doesn't play well, which is Harden, they're not going to win. Whereas with the Warriors, you need every single one of their stars to play poorly. If one of their stars plays well, that's pretty much could be enough to carry them to a win. Um, but I mean, watching the difference between the Rockets and the Warriors... Now, I know the Rockets beat the Warriors two weeks ago, but I think that's kind of an anomaly because when you watch them play, especially now that the Warriors have DeMarcus Cousins... It's so different because Cousins can space the floor. I mean, they pass the ball on. 
Clay Thompson last night had made nine threes in a row, and yet he still passed the ball off to Steph Curry in the corner for a wide-open three uh, in the game against the Lakers. So the ball movement with Golden State is just way more sustainable than what they're doing over in Houston. I mean, both teams, like, the Golden State can have a good run and a bad run, and Houston can have a really good run and a really bad run. But when it comes to a seven-game series, Golden State's style of play is more... uh, is more they're more inclined to win a series than Houston is, and kind of saw that in in uh, the Western Conference Finals last year. I mean, Houston got out to uh, or had a three-two lead in the series. They had some good games, but in Game Seven, when it when push came to shove, they missed twenty-seven threes in a row. And I know that that's that kind of supports the whole anecdotal thing, but everything evens out at the end. In the end. And it did happen to be in Golden State's favor that night. And just Houston, I don't think they can... This is not a good look for as far as how they're going to play in the playoffs. Because if they have to... If they've been relying on this style of play for so long, I mean 20 games of James Harden just going off every single night. Uh, even when he t- goes 1 of 6, 17 for 3. Um, that's not... How the style of play, the, it's not the habits you want to develop heading into the playoffs, which are actually only what, like, two months away, two and a half months away. Um, that's just what I think about Houston and how they've what what James Harden's been doing over there. Quick take: Hall of Fame inductees were announced today. Uh, Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Messina all got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, some notable. Outs were Barry Bonds, who got 3% more than last year, and Roger Clemens, who got 2.5% more than last year. Both are around 59% out of the 75% needed to get into the Hall of Fame. First of all, uh, shout-out to Mariano Rivera. I mean, he was the first unanimous Hall of Fame uh, Hall of Famer ever, um, which is pretty uh, amazing considering the players that have been enshrined in Cooperstown. Um, but he's about as uncontroversial as they get. All-time saves. A uh, leader and whatnot. Uh, there's just nothing. There's no, no reason he shouldn't be there. Um, as far as Barry Bonds goes, I think that he should be in the Hall of Fame, and the reason is because he started juicing maybe around. I think it was around '97 or so, and that's when you know his numbers started to really get crazy. But if you look at his home run totals and really his statistics before the age of supposedly him juicing and going for the home run mark um, and hitting 73 a year. I mean, they're nothing to sneeze at. I mean, he may have been on a pace for the Hall of Fame, even if his numbers didn't skyrocket. Uh, Let's just read off his numbers for home runs. 16, 25, 24, 19, 33, 25, 34, 46, which led the league that year. 37, 33, 42, and then around 40. Um, and that's before he, he had some really ridiculous seasons. So his numbers were really good before he started juicing. And I know you can't speculate, but those numbers are numbers we rarely see in today's game. So I think based on merits alone, no matter what you think of the steroids, that his him in the steroid age, I think he should be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. That's my opinion. Apparently, 59% of the Baseball Writers Association of America uh, shares my opinion. 
Um, but we'll see. And I, I don't think he's going to get in just because there's too big of a base that opposes him. Um, but we'll see. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Check it out everywhere. Bit.ly slash The Wong Takes. Patreon.com slash The Wong Takes. Email me at The Wong Takes at gmail.com with questions, comments, concerns. Uh, send questions and voicemails. Rate the podcast and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to get notifications every time a new episode comes out. Thanks so much for listening as per usual, and I will see you with a Super Bowl preview next week.